Well, an awful lot can change in a couple of days, right? If you were listening to the OHL podcast on Tuesday, you heard us talking about the unexpectedly slow start for the Kitchener Rangers and the concern that might be there at 0-4. Sure, teams can lose four games in a row at any point of the season, really, but to lose four straight out of the gates in a season where there were some higher expectations, it might raise a flag or two. And I asked the question on Tuesday if this would precipitate any changes. Now, by no means did I mean that there would be a change behind the bench or anything like that. You don't do that in the first couple of weeks of the season, but I was thinking more along the lines of an Antonino Pugliese. Is he ready to come back into the lineup? I think Cameron Mercer's a little ways away yet. You've got some extra bodies on the back end with Matt Antonovsky and just, uh, Justin Hall or Ty Hallett that you know, can maybe rotate in and out of your lineup, but there wasn't a whole lot in the way of opportunity for the Kitchener Rangers to make changes. Enter general manager Mike McKenzie, who has never been shy about making a deal, and he goes and makes one for an overage goaltender from Hamilton. Marco Costantini joins the Rangers, and I think, at least by my estimation, Mike McKenzie gets him for a pretty good price, too. The coveted second rounder, sure, and a conditional sixth for Costantini's services for this final year of his in the Ontario Hockey League. So I don't look at this in any way as a a sign of panic or anything like that. There's nobody, you know, screaming from a rooftop that there's a problem here. What this does indicate to me is that the Kitchener Rangers are as serious about this season as many of us thought they should be based on the lineup and how good it looks in the Western Conference. So this is a team that believes it's got enough certainly got something there and it didn't want to see the wheels spin anymore at the start of the season. So a shrewd move, in my opinion, by general manager of the Kitchener Rangers, Mike McKenzie on that episode of the OHL podcast on Tuesday as well. You probably heard me rag a little bit on Ottawa. Again, I just want to be clear. I love the city. I love the franchise from a hockey operations perspective. I don't know that you can do a whole lot better than a head coach like Dave Cameron and a general manager like James Boyd. It's just the stuff around the game. And I know this is being really selfish and self-centered when it comes to, you know, the media and the work environment we are provided and, you know, how easy it is for us to do our jobs. But I, I do think there is something to the idea that as media, we are the conduit to the fans, to you, right? And the easier our job is in the arena, the easier it is for us to be that conduit to you, the fan, the easier it is to generate excitement. So to me, it makes a lot of sense to make the media's job easy. So our job of essentially promoting the league becomes that much easier, which brings us to our guest on the OHL podcast this week. And Joe Birch is said guest. He's got some deep experience in the Ontario Hockey League, going way back to his time as a player with both London and Kitchener. So the Red Sox and Yankees of the Midwest division of the Ontario Hockey League are teams that Joe Birch played for. But I think more importantly than that, his experience on the recruitment side of the game, his experience at the league offices, his experience kind of putting out a fire in Flint uh, makes him a really interesting character in this game. And and dare I say, uh, we have not written the last chapter in the Joe Birch hockey story. That is for sure. Speaking of that time in Flint, Joe did share with me at the end of this podcast when we were done recording a really funny Dave Branch, Joe Birch story. And he didn't say it was off limits. He kind of indicated that maybe I just didn't 
ask them the right question to get them to it. So I'll I'll wear that, but I will also say, I'll tell you the story after you hear this conversation with Joe Birch. And just to kind of tie a bow on that whole hockey operations thing and making the media's job easier or as easy as possible, Joe Birch made a pretty shrewd hire of his own, much like Mike McKenzie makes a shrewd deal for the Kitchener Rangers. Joe Birch hired the guy that used to basically run the broadcasts and everything around it, communications in Flint in Dominic Hennig. He's now working for the Kitchener Rangers and he runs a tight ship. There's not a detail really that goes unchecked in that daily list of what needs to be done to make life as easy and smooth as possible for the Rangers organization, for the players and for the media and scouts that come to game. So Joe knows his way around a hockey operations department and he's running the show in Kitchener as the chief operating officer. And here is our conversation on the OHL podcast with that new COO. Don't forget, shoot us an email anytime. OHL podcast at rogers.com. Find me on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL. And please subscribe to this podcast. Tell a friend about it. Subscribe to the YouTube page, the OHL podcast on Instagram at the OHL podcast. We are everywhere. We hope that you are as well, bringing you the stories kind of behind the scenes and with the characters of the game. Here's our conversation with the chief operating officer of the Kitchener Rangers, Joe Birch. Well, this this is bound to be fun because we've got a guy with us today that played for both the Kitchener Rangers and the London Knights. So basically the Yankees and the Red Sox, right? He worked in the league offices. He spent some time helping out during a troubled time in Flint. And now he's back as an executive with arguably one of the premier franchises in the entire Canadian Hockey League. Mr. Joe Birch joins the OHL podcast. Birchie, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for making the time in your obviously very busy schedule. Well, you know, uh, Mike, it's a pleasure to be back. Uh, and uh, I'm really appreciative of you having me. It's been a long time coming, as we've joked a little bit about. <laughs> uh, but it's but it's awesome to be here. And uh, I'm happy to be in the role that I'm in. And I'm, and I'm happy to be here today to talk to you about some different things I've done in my career. We'll get to that where you're at today, for sure. But I've got this I don't know what it is. I have to go chronologically. It just helps me inside my mind. So take me back, Joe Birch, to a 16-year-old you uh, being drafted into the Ontario Hockey League and, and walking for the first time into an arena like the Kitchener Memorial Auditorium. Yeah, you, you know, and I'm going to take it back even a step further because some of my, some of the memories that uh, once you've come back to this great place start being triggered and, and I'm going to take it back to draft day if, if, you, if you're okay with that. Cause, Absolutely. Because draft day was an important piece and, and, you know, I'd never been in Maple Leaf Gardens, which, which is bizarre. I, I'm a, I was a hockey kid, but grew up in Sarnia, so it was a long ways, I guess, to go for my family to watch a hockey game. So it's the first time my dad, my mom and I are at Maple Leaf Gardens on draft day and in person. And, and where I'm taking it back is it just goes to show the special people that are around here. And um, my name gets called and uh, I walk down the stairs like every other young 16 year old did before me. And uh, I go around the table, I shake everyone's hands and the very next person I meet, I've told this story before to other recruits, young recruits that we've had come in in the last year and a bit. And the very next person I meet is Dan Liebel. And uh, to that same warm smile that he gave me at that time when I was 16 is the same thing that I get to see here every single day. And we talk about how special it is when you walk into this organization and the people you meet. Danny is right at the top of the epitome of what we are. 
And then, and then you take it further to when you do arrive here at training camp or at rookie camp or first year player camp. And uh, the building itself is so magnificent and the fans and the passion that people bring within the community. Um, you say we're one of, I believe we are the best uh, franchise uh, in, in the CHL for so many great reasons. And there are many awesome ones, don't get me wrong. But I'm just so proud to be part of this one because of so many great things that are brought here by the building, people like yourselves, people like Danny, Mike McKenzie, coaches, and all the great ones that have come before us. Just our job to make it better for when we leave. You you played for one of those pretty great ones in Kitchener in your time there. But let's just touch on you talk about draft day at Maple Leaf Garden. So here's a kid from Sarnia growing up in Sarnia, playing hockey there, Maple Leaf Gardens for the draft. Memorial Auditorium as your your home base. You must have thought every rink is like this because there are parallels between the two for sure. Yeah, I you know what, but I didn't I didn't know, and I think I've I've told this story before too, which is really neat. You you think about it, and, and in Sarnia, I played out of the old Sarnia Arena, which you all remember. You would have remembered being there, right? I'd been to Old Windsor Arena because my my cousin is DJ Smith, so I went to go watch him play. Been to Old London Ice House because. I grew up in Sarnia's played minor hockey there. So really didn't have an idea. I actually didn't know the Memorial Auditorium existed, as bizarre as that is. So I played minor hockey here, but I played on the two secondary rinks. And, and when I first walked into the rink here at the odd, I was lost. I was actually walking towards one of the community rinks and, and one of the facility uh, uh, people said, no, 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 you're, you're here with the Rangers. Yes, I am. No, no, you got to go over there. You got to go under the stairs to the left. And, and, and there it was. And I walked under the stairs to the left. And there's this big, beautiful building that had the resemblance of Maple Leaf Gardens where it wasn't long before in June of that year. And it's, and it is, it's, it's, it's wow. And uh, now there's so many tremendous rinks in this league nowadays that, uh, you know, we, we were spoiled back then and we still are now, but it's a, it's a very special spot here. What do you remember of suiting up for, preparing for, stepping onto the ice for that first OHL game? Well, it, nerves are one thing. Um, you know, there were so many great players uh, that were on my team and opposing team. We played against Owen Sound. Uh, my teammate will probably hate me for telling this story, but Matt Odette um, had a, a bit of a Donnie broke my first junior game and there was blood everywhere. And hockey's not like this, and I know that. But things are getting shoveled off of the ice, and and I, and I remember that was our last exhibition game. And I remember thinking, what did I get myself into? What 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 is what what's going on here? But um, you know, it 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 was a it was a really really uh, fantastic league that was hard, skilled. Um, there was only sixteen teams then. Um, lots of great coaches, lots of great players. Uh, I, I hung on to survive to try to play my two years in the league. I wasn't, I wasn't very good, but, um, you know, I played in the league and, uh, and I'm blessed and I'm fortunate to have had that opportunity because I know now how many, how many guys peers my age or other young kids that I've come see through minor hockey in my career have, have wanted to play in this league and it's, it's hard to get here. And when you're here, it's a real privilege. You talk, Joe, about hockey not being like that. And it's yeah. absolutely true. 30 years ago, the game you were playing is dramatically different than the game we see today. And I, I would argue, much like I'm sure you would, for the better. But how do you view the game today versus 
the game that you were looking at going, oh my God, what have I gotten myself into? Yeah. I, I, I think it's tremendous now. I, I have no, I don't, I understand it's a physical sport and, and boys will be boys and young men will be young men sometimes. But um, the game is in a, a, a really uh, on ice, uh, a, a great, exciting spot. We, you know, probably all watched the, the game on Saturday night versus Finland and Team Canada. Amazing hockey, not a fight. Very little hitting for that matter, but but super skilled and fast. And um, and 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 I'm a parent now too, and so I think about things uh, into a greater detail about the safety of of my children and his friends and their friends and young people who play the game. So um, the game is dramatically different, and uh, and and it's exciting and it's fun to watch, and and that's the sort of stuff that we should celebrate as we all try to grow and get better. I give a lot of credit to my my former uh, uh, boss, David Branch, and the leadership that he's provided to not just the OHL, but I'd I'd uh, I'd suggest the CHL and to the NHL. He's been a leader in player safety, and um, and I think that's really important for the overall uh, growth of our, and the future of our sport. I alluded earlier to that coach of some renown that you played for in Kitchener. That, of course, would be Jeff Ward. What was it like playing for Wardy? Amazing. You know, he, he, uh, you probably know better than me, but he was a young, he was young, like, like 28, maybe like maybe younger than that, which by today's standards is in, in any standards is, is like incredible to be a head coach at that level. Easily one of the most, if not the most organized coach that I've ever seen, even, even through my time here. And, and I know I'm getting to know a new coach here. So he's got a bar set pretty high, but, but, um, but Jeff was, uh, he was incredibly passionate. He worked, uh, he worked uh, so hard. Um, I remember uh, us preparing for the Barry Colts and I'd never seen so much detail go into a one-on-one -on -one matchup. Okay, Joe, if you could virtue, you get out on the ice versus this guy, your job is to beat this forward, be better than this forward. And he listed out that forward's strengths and that weaknesses. And he did for every player on our team, every player on the Barry Colts, and that was just a, you know, a bit of a snapshot into the mind that he, that he had and that he's ended up to use to go on to have a, a you know, a really fantastic um, NHL and professional coaching career. He was, he was great. I love seeing him. I, I, I run into him every now and again, and uh, he's an amazing person. You know, the one thing I'll just touch on with that team that I think Jeff may or may not realize, but there are six or seven of us from that team that work currently in the game today. Matt Odette in Seattle, Ryan Mujanel, head coach in Providence, uh, Dylan Sika, general manager in Sarnia, uh, Serge Paye is an agent at the NHL level. I feel like I'm missing someone else. David Bolitsky is a goaltender coach for the Barry Colts and myself. And, and there, I, I, there probably are some others that I'm missing, but probably because we work in the game today is, I, I don't know, I view a, a lot of some of the things that I learned were because of the experience I had with Jeff. And, and, and sort of the follow-up that you have with him in a relationship afterwards. So he was a really impressive person then and, and, and still is to this day. You ever chirp Politsky for his TV commercials? All the time. <laughs> <laughs> David and I, and I'm allowed to because David and I live together. So, so, we're, so we're really close, but, uh, but all the time, he, uh, he, he's, he's, a, he's a great person and a great friend. And you know he doesn't have that vehicle anymore. Um, it, it, when the tornado hit through Barry last summer, his car was flipped over. Oh and my gosh. Mm -hmm. Time to do a new commercial, I guess. Time for a new commercial, Mike. <laughs>
<laughs> I remember all those years ago talking to Jeff Ward about a former teammate of yours, Boy Devereaux. Oh. And, and <clears throat> Jeff said without hesitation that Boyd was going to be a professional hockey player, a national hockey leaguer. As a teammate, I suspect you would have got the same sense. No, no, no question. And, and this is a great lesson for young kids. In my view, and I say young kids, I'm referring to our OHL players, but I'm also referring to my eight-year-old and my 11-year-old son and 13-year-old kids. He was the most talented. Nobody worked harder. And he was an incredible teammate. And those, so he had the skills, but nobody worked harder. And, and he, he had the skills and he worked hard. And he could have had an arrogance about him. He, an amazing, an amazing teammate and an, an amazing person. Uh, you know, it, one of the great things about this league is, is those connections you make and, and you follow your friends and those guys who go on. I never had the chance to play at the level that Boyd did and, and nor lift a Stanley Cup as he did, but you celebrate them. And then when you reconnect with those guys, um, the love that kind of you have for each other, the care that you have for each other. And he and I have gotten to reconnect since I've been here and even in my prior league roles. And it's, it's, it's like yesterday, some of the things that you laugh and you talk about in your teammates, but, but without a doubt, uh, he, he, he was a special hockey player. Um, I think, I think some injuries cut his career a little bit short, but, but he, he had an amazing career. He's doing great things in the community here as a firefighter. When I think back on Jeff Ward too, and we'll move away from, from Wardy, I promise, but uh, <laughs> he, he was a, he was a fitness freak too, yeah. still is. And, and that was in an era where it wasn't quite as common for players off season, even in season training. Did he instill any of that in you guys as players? hundred percent. We, we, you know, through, through uh, the great facilities that we have here, we would use the gym, the old Lennox, Lennox Lewis gym at the time uh, regularly for circuit training, eye-opening to me. I'd never seen any of that before. I thought much maybe as my other teammates did, you only trained in the summertime. Like why train in season? Well, Again, Jeff being the leader as he was, um, he, he knew that there was a benefit to being uh, in shape throughout the season and making gains, but also, you know, avoiding injury or injury recovery. And, uh, and he was ahead of his time for sure. And, you know, I, I don't want to talk about the other team too much down the road that I end up getting traded to. And, uh, and, and eventually where I went to school there at Western, but we didn't really do a lot of that in season. And, um, and I think Wardy really was ahead of his time there and being able to instill some of that. And uh, again, that probably is back to his preparation, his organization, his great mind uh, that he had. You kind of read my mind about that other team down the road, because midway through your sophomore season in the OHL, you get traded to those London Knights. What's it like? What, what, was, what do you remember about how you learned about the trade? And then, you know, OK, off I go to London. So it, it was hard. It was really, really hard. So we, so we had an off-ice workout. I remember it like yesterday, a couple of reasons. It was my dad's birthday, December 4th of 1996. And, um, uh, and so I, I, we, we had an off-ice workout. And uh, general manager at the time, uh, Ted Harris, says, Archie, I, I need you to come uh, into my office. I'm like, you know, I, I was a good kid. I think I was a good kid. I, I good marks. I didn't cause any problems. So I'm like, oh, where's this going? And um, and he sat me down and 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 he just said, hey, we we made a trade. We moved you to London, closer to home. They're you know certainly they're they're rebuilding in a younger spot in our career, but you deserve a chance to to play. And and I and I thought at the time, 
Um, you know, I, I thought at the time I was going to be traded like prior to the actual deal happening, but I thought it might've happened after Christmas closer to the deadline, because at the time, Paul trainer was a chance to go to world juniors and things move. Right. So it kind of caught me off guard a little bit on timing. Um, you know, I, I, I went to London and, uh, I scored my very first game there, Farzi. So they thought they were getting this offensive right shot D. Um, uh, which was not the case, but, uh, I never, I don't hold any, I, I understand it now. Uh, I've always felt closest to the Rangers, um, because of the real positive experiences, uh, that I had for, you know, the, the year and a half or so that I was here. So, um, it's, it was part of it. It's part of the process. And, 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 you know, I'm, I, I don't regret anything because if I didn't go there, maybe I don't go to Western. If I don't go to Western, I probably don't uh begin coaching which has led to my sort of administrative uh, uh career i likely don't meet my wife and my wife and my family are everything to me so maybe i have some things to be thankful for and being moved the the rivalry between london and kitchener is is well known so i i asked this not in any way to throw shade at the other team in the rivalry not the team you are currently representing with kitchener but just the reality of it, when you got traded to the London Knights, it was, I think, the lowest point in that franchise's today illustrious history. They had just come off their three-win season. I think yeah. they won 13 or 14 games when you 13. got traded there. Yeah, and, and you were coming from a pretty successful team in Kitchener. As yeah. a 17, 18-year-old kid, it's got to suck a little bit. Oh, it was. <laughs> so <laughs> it was uh, it was hard. And, 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 uh, I, uh, it, it, it was difficult to go to the rink. And so I, I look, you know me, I like to look at things half full as a positive. So in the time it's, it sucked and you had to dig, dig in and get through it. And nobody knew, we, everybody knew we were going to miss the playoffs. So it was a really short window of time for me, but, but we also learned things about adversity and about, you know, as a team, you know, trying to stay positive and look at things and, that I look back at my career and, and I, I think that those hard times were really important for me. Um, they helped me grow. They, 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 they helped me, you know, be a better coach when I started coaching. They, they've helped me be a better parent when I, my son's team lose hockey games. Like it also has helped me in working with young people and saying, love the game. You know, I, I think that the one thing that you and I have, and, and I think many others who are around us today um, I'm a really passionate guy, as are you. I'm passionate about hockey, about the Rangers. If I didn't have that passion as a 17-year-old or an 18-year-old playing for the One Knights, when you lose, when you only win 13 games and you're in the middle of a snowstorm and you just got clobbered by the Sioux Greyhounds, 15 to one, um, like if you don't love the game, you're never gonna, you're not gonna move on. You won't, you, you won't even want to play it anymore. So. I think growing passion, adversity, lifelong skills become really, really, really important. And when you're in the moment, it's tough, which that was tough when you're in the moment in London in that time. But again, I'm, I'm thankful those, for those experiences. You mentioned snowstorms in Sault Ste. Marie. We know that in the East, or pardon me, in the West, we're pretty spoiled, especially in the Midwest division when it comes to travel. There aren't too many, you know, real bears of trips, but what was what was a trip that you maybe dreaded when it was on the calendar? Was it Sault Ste. Marie? Was it playing in that old Windsor barn? Well, yeah, Windsor barn because you didn't know if you get hit with a battery. So <laughs> like, and they, 
they 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 had some really passionate fans and they had some tough teams. So so Windsor was tough. I I despised the East trip, to be quite honest with you. Um, Belleville Olympic Ice was a nightmare for me. Um, Ottawa always had some really, really strong teams, and so did Kingston. So thankfully for us, we only we only had to make that swing uh once um once a year. But but that big ice in Belleville was it, it, like I don't I don't know how people can do it these days. Like I tried to stay in between the dots and there goes Daniel Cleary one way and Richard Park the other way. And um, it, it was, it was super hard. Uh, the Sioux was always tough because, because it's a hard place to play, um, you know, anywhere really. Like it, it was hard. It was <laughs> even the short ones, the short road trip down Sarnia. And, and, you know, people might think coming home to play in your hometown um, is easy to do, but it's hard. There's a lot of pressure. You have family, you have friends, you don't want to make a mistake in that old barn in Sarnia. People were right on top of you. So there were, there weren't too many easy nights to be quite honest with you, Farzi. Can't believe I didn't think of Belleville because I remember talking to Mike Torquia about that as oh, a yeah. goaltender years ago. And he's, for him, it wasn't too bad because angles are angles, but as a defenseman, you talk about staying with those dots, right? Your, your gaps are all over the place. Nightmare, it, yeah. like like just just a complete just a complete nightmare to try to handle anybody with speed and 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 at that time where it's maybe a bit different now defensemen you weren't you were trying to do gap control and stick on puck and angle people and stuff like that but but you didn't really know how to do it because you relied so much at least I did anyways the old can opener technique and body on body and you can't get the body on anybody because there was so much room so. It really made for an interesting game to to go in there to play, especially when you came from, again, you know, smaller arena playing in Sarnia or the London Ice House. I don't even know if it was full NHL size ice dimension. So you went from one extreme of smaller barns in the West to, you know, that Olympic sheet in Belleville. It, it was tough. I could see how they, uh, you know, they to their credit, they built some really creative, offensively skilled teams and use that to their advantage. When you graduate out of the Ontario Hockey League, and you mentioned taking advantage of uh, educational opportunities at Western, and then suddenly you're you're into coaching. Was that by design? Because you you mentioned Jeff Ward being young, certainly for the OHL. Weren't you like 22, 23 when you started coaching? I was, uh, and and not you know I, I went to a um, I went to a coaching clinic just my last year at Western, or in the summer after my last year at Western, and. And, um, and I remember, uh, at that time I was, you know, trying to figure out what do you do when you're done playing? I also had a close family friend by the name of Scott Driscoll and Scott had a long NHL career. And, and, and sort of in that summer, I had the coaching clinic. I experienced it. I, I talked to Scott in the summer and I, some advice was given to me and said, Joe, you're big, you skate. Okay. For a big guy, uh, pick one or the other pass, stay, stay in the game. So no, you know, I'm not a bad piece. Right. And, and I, I, I kind of was leaning towards the officiating side. And then I got a call from Dan Rose, who was my former assistant coach at, at Western. And, and Rosie called and he says, Joe, he says, I, I just lost my assistant coach in St. Thomas. He says, do you want to jump on the St. Thomas Stars bench right away? And I thought, whoa, hey, Junior B, good level. St. Thomas, great organization, great history. And so all I had to do was get your normal bench certification so that so the, the path, in my view, was a little bit quicker and where I was about to go versus maybe saying to try to, to do the officiating side. So I said, you know what? Yeah, Rosie, I appreciate the opportunity. Let's 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 do it. And it's funny what you what, what you remember 
coach or coach Mike McKenzie, general manager Mike McKenzie and I were just talking the other day and and uh, we were talking about a player that I had in St. Thomas, Logan Couture. And Mike says, I played against Logan Couture. And I said, did, did you play for St. Mike's? He says, yeah, I played for St. Mike's. Long story short, I ended up coaching against Mike because St. Thomas, we had an exhibition game against uh, St. Mike's where Mike was playing and, and uh, I was coaching in St. Thomas. But I, I, uh, I loved it. I, I wanted to be a teacher and um, I was using coaching as a, a, a volunteerism building piece of my resume to go to teacher's college. I didn't get into teacher's college, so I continued with coaching and I had a goal that I wanted to get into the Ontario Hockey League as a coach. And I never made that of, of, of that path, but I, but I actually really enjoyed coaching and I, I did start at a young age. Yeah. What I'm not sure people realize about that, Joe, is the grind, if I can put it that way, mm. that it is, especially at that level. I think there are parallels between coaching and hockey and, and broadcasting, because people in my line yeah. of work will go anywhere there's a job from a small town trying to work their way up to a bigger town. But when you're in those small towns, not only are you doing the lousy shifts, but you're making pretty lousy money. What was the grind like for you as the junior B coach? The, 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 the lousy money was zero money. So yes. Um, and uh, it, but it is, but it, but it's, but it's part of it. I, I've done a lot of talks over the last few years with young people. And I think it's a really good, it's a really good point, Mike, because they say, well, how do you get, how'd you get to your career? How'd you do what you did? And I said, well, you know, I'll tell my story. And I said, but the key piece for me was I volunteered at a high level for six years or five years or whatever it was that I ended up coaching. And, and that was the network building. That was the reconnecting with the relationships. That was the understanding of new players and coaching and the, you know, the whole system, the whole hockey system. And I said, without that experience, I can tell you right now, I, I maybe, but maybe not. I don't know if I got hired in the Ontario Hockey League. It was the one piece, the one big chip that I had to play when I went into interviews in the league office in 2006 about saying that I'm coaching at a high level, I just finished coaching Logan Couture or Scott Arson. I had, I had not to name drop, but I had, I had some proven experience that tied directly to what they were looking for in that role. And not unlike you or not unlike in somebody who, who may want to get into the sports on the business side, you just don't know what experience you may encounter along the way that's going to help you to get that next job or create that next opportunity and so on and so forth. So um, I didn't know it at the time, but it became a really important piece in my growth. So how difficult was it for you to abandon even temporarily, perhaps the dream of coaching mm -hmm. to move into the recruiting side with the league offices? Um, well, uh, <laughs> the one thing about Dave, which is amazing, is uh, he's a great salesman. So uh, he, he says, so you can't coach anymore, Junior B. I said, okay, no, no problem. Hey, listen, I want to do, I, I just said, I want to do a great job. And, and I, I, I'd love to, you know, uh, make sure that I'm really successful at this. Shortly then after I get hired, he says, why do you coach AAA hockey with me? I said, hey, you know what? Good idea. So now I can coach AAA hockey. And I got to work. So, so it actually was a really, uh, I got, I got to, to keep the coaching bug in me, recognizing at that point in time, though, my, I also learned very quickly in being around Steve Spot, as an example, is always a coach mentor of mine as I was going through the system um, and going through what those guys have gone through and their experience. And I, 
I didn't have any of the parole experience. So my path began to being carved more on this management and administrative side when I quickly recognized how tough of a coaching gig they had. And then I was okay to move away from it when my boss was telling me I had to coach AAA with them for a couple of years. So it was fine. And I eventually got on the bench in Flint anyway. So I was able to check a box and, uh, um, and, and kind of, you know, say, hey, I've gotten to coach in the OHL, but I have no desire to get out there anymore. Although I did last year again, too. So when you were, that's right. You did, did wait, did you retire undefeated from Kitchener Rangers coaching? Yeah, uh, no, no, no. We 0-1 versus the London Knights. Yeah. That's right. That's right. I should have remembered that. <laughs> <laughs> what a team to go back against, too. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. No kidding. So. When you were at the league offices, uh, the, the U16 combines that you were responsible yeah. for organizing and obviously a, a huge part of recruiting young men to this league. But what was that process like? What went into the, the creation and the, the staging of these combines? Well, I mean, you know, I've, I've always been really fortunate that um, through my time in the league office, there was there was always a great support group around the league office directly with Dave and Ted and other uh, colleagues that I work with. But but Dave always managed to align me with with, say, our competitions committee or our recruitment committee who had some really strong um, general managers and experienced people that were always open minded. Because we, we were the first to market as it related to hockey combines in North America. It's now taken off. And so there's always risk involved there. Um, and it was a big undertaking, but it's it's something that's been now in place for the better part, I think, of 12 seasons. I think the 1994, uh, 1994 age group was the first age group that we did it with. And um, it's become an important piece of evaluation. It, uh, it was a lot of work, but, but a lot like everything else in, that I know that I've tried in my career, I've never been afraid to try and uh, never been afraid to kind of go out there and lead. And if it fails, then, hey, I'll stand up and I'll take, I'll take the, uh, the, the blame for it if, it if something certainly fails, but I'll also take a chance to take a step back and tweak and try to readjust and, and get things to work. So the combines were big. They were a big project. We eventually, all three leagues across the CHL followed our playbook and implemented it across the Canadian Hockey League. The, the CHL NHL top prospects game came because of our OHL combine, which is done at the national event here. And then I know other competing leagues and uh, and whatnot are, are executing combines. So it's, um, you know, I kind of forgot actually to the depth of, of where it's where it started and where it's come from, but um, I'm, I'm proud to have taken a big part of that when it started. David Branch has been a guest on this podcast before. He's uh, a regular fixture in arenas around the league. And of course, he's a favorite target for fans. And sometimes, of course, general managers, coaches, when they're upset, I can only imagine how much pressure is on the guy and, and what it's like being the commissioner of the Ontario Hockey League. And, and a guy that I've got a great deal of respect for, I should also say. But I, I wonder... When he's having a bad day, like what's it like in those offices, Joe, in the league <laughs> offices when Branchy is just not having a day? So, so <laughs> <laughs> if, if it's not a bad day, like, you know, to, like you didn't make some type of, you know, a mistake or whatever. And even, even to that point, he, he's a really strong leader uh, and, a, and an excellent communicator. He was always very good at separating. So if it was a bad day based upon, you know, whatever, a general manager or something had gone on, he would, he, in my experience, it was never carried over to, to Joe in the director role. So unless, unless, uh, you know, unless it was 
it was you as an individual that made a mistake, you know, and even at that point, um, I know I've learned a lot of my leadership skills from him, the way that he handled people. And um, as you know, he's a great, he's a great communicator. Uh, he's passionate. And I think that's the one thing that, that, you know, people can see in him, which is a reason he's been able to do uh, all the amazing things that he's done for as long as, as he has. So um, he, he was great to work with. I'm thinking there might be some similarities between 18-year-old Joe Birch being traded from a team that's doing well to a team that's not doing so well, Kitchener to London, and and an adult Joe Birch with all of your experience in administration being moved from the league office to kind of oversee mm-hmm. things during a tough time in Flint. What did you take away from that experience with the fire? Ooh, uh, what didn't I, you know, and, and I, and, and, and I say that most respectfully because, you know, I said here most recently or recently two years ago or whatever this thing was that we started here. Um, uh, when I walked into Flint, it was, a, it was a really hard environment. And I know we had hard, I'm not, I'm not I'm comparing the two, but I'm not, I know we had some hard times here, but I don't, when you're an outsider looking in the Rangers and then you get on the inside of the Rangers, you realize how special it is and how good things are. Flint had a public, like a national public face problem going on, like a huge reputation PR problem that was going on. That's hard to kind of really navigate yourself through um, and be able to find the positives out of it. But, 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 you know, I learned, I learned again, you take things day by day. You, you really appreciate the little wins. You, you, you look at, okay, uh, what's our two-year plan? What's our three-year plan? How do we, how do we move forward out of this thing and not get too worried about things we can't control? All the same stuff that I talked about here in the pandemic the last 18 months. So I, I learned a lot, um, kind of goes back to my earlier comment. I, I didn't know at the time entirely what I was getting into. Nobody really did because the league hadn't uh, taken a move to take over a club to that extent, I think, in its history. And, um, and but, but taking on that experience became invaluable for me, not knowing I'd be in this chair where, where I was when I was at the, in the middle of the pandemic, but it became invaluable experience in problem solving, team building, uh, goal setting, uh, working within elements that are out of your control, working within the elements that are within your control. So uh, I, I really learned some amazing, um, I really learned some amazing skills um, that I brought here with me today. You spent time too, Joe, on the agency side yes. of the business. How similar or different is that from being, you know, working in recruiting, for example, for the league? Um, well, there were a lot of similarities, you know, from the recruitment side, like, like eerily similar. And part of the reason that I, 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 I took a, you know, a, the opportunity with Newport was because, you know, I just thought in my head, I said, Oh, okay. I'm going to, I'm trying to recruit on behalf of 20 OHL teams. Well, now I'm going to go to the rink and I'm just going to recruit on behalf of one entity, Newport sports. So, so that side of things was, was really similar. It was the next step that, that I had an experience, which was sort of the day-to-day management that went on with players and families, and then the interactions with, with different coaches and different organizations. So that was really an eye-opening experience for me. Um, I, I learned a lot. I, I called it my hockey university for, for the two seasons that I was there because I saw everything from contract negotiations to 
how marketing works for individual players to problem solving and, and troubleshooting as it related directly to OHL clubs, general managers, you know, quite honestly, problem solving and troubleshooting as it related to players and things away from the rink. So I had a whole plethora of experiences there jammed into about 16 or 18 months that, um, that I'm really thankful for. You know, I, I sense there's a, a bit of a theme here in, in your career arc. I mean, taking it back to even what you said about meeting Dan Liebold that very first time as somebody drafted into the Ontario Hockey League and what that face and that friendliness perhaps meant to a young hockey player, which would, I think, tie into the experience of a 15, 16-year-old as they're coming into this league. And then, you know, possible teachers college where, again, you'd be leading young people. You do that as a hockey coach etc recruiting for the league the agency side what would you tell a young person today joe about the ontario hockey league and the opportunities that it offers well i i mean like the the, the one thing that the league has historically been known for is player development so if your goal is to is to play in the national hockey league the the stats and the the data don't lie that this league has done it better than any other league i know there's some recent trends that the numbers might be being clawed back, but on average, NHL opening rosters are like 25% of OHL graduates, somewhere between 23, 25%, pretty consistently. We could find the data on that. But the one thing that I know that I spent a lot of time in my career on the recruitment side of was promoting the fact that we have a really incredible plan B. And that plan B is that if you fail to, to make it to the National Hockey League, and fails the wrong word because it's so hard, but if you just can't hit that goal and make it to the National Hockey League, this scholarship that is provided through the Ontario Hockey League and the member teams combined with the opportunity to play youth sports, it, it, is, it is as great of a plan B as, as somebody could write in their own script in their own playbook. And um, I know when we spend time with players uh, about the opportunity here that's presented in Kitchener, we talk a lot about that because you come out debt-free through your OHL scholarship. There are great opportunities after playing youth sports. Uh, you know, I spoke to Mike Batizian and Justin Nolay a, a little bit about it this year, about the opportunity that'll be there for them. After three or four years at the University of New Brunswick, they could probably go back and play, uh, you know, maybe go play in the American Hockey League, um, you know, certainly over in Europe. And um, they'll come out debt-free because of the, uh, the scholarship. And I, I think, you know, we also miss place the importance of Canadian education and how great of an education system that we do have here. And uh, I, I, I love our Canadian education, the degrees and the diplomas that kids can obtain through the OHL scholarship. So I think it's just, it's just trying to share with people that, you know, um, the hockey side, there's a great plan A and a great plan B. The, the side that I haven't touched on, which become really important, are the life skills. And, um, and and the things that we try to do with our players here, whether it's community engagement, uh, leadership, um, you know, uh, our Talk Today program, there are so many great programs that help uh, young people develop and learn interpersonal skills that they will need and will uh, eventually use when they're 30 or 40 or however old they are in their working world. So I, I think the league continues to grow. We have lots to improve upon. We, Let's make no mistake about that. But I think the league uh, in general has done a really tremendous job in preparing players for the NHL, youth sports, and life after hockey. And I'm really proud to be part of that. 
life skills and the development of, uh, I, and I think you're alluding to it when you say there's work still to be done. Yeah. I think it make it provides the opportunity to to have a conversation here about the reckoning that is currently underway uh, within Hockey Canada, within hockey generally. And you, you mentioned some of the programs that I know the Kitchener Rangers have been involved in. I know other teams are as well. But is that the work that you're alluding to there, Joe, that, that still yes. needs to be done in the game? Yeah, 100 yeah. percent. And it's I view it as partly, you know, uh, responsibility in the, in, the, in the role that I'm in with with this organization to continue to challenge ourselves on equity, diversity and inclusion programming, our, our BIPOC programming. Um, we've, we've had great talks with Nishabeg outreach and indigenous programming, um, the Ontario crisis for women in sport, um, our, our OHL onsite program are all things that, um, I, I think that we cannot lose sight of. And I, I, I challenge Mike McKenzie, uh, Chris Dennis as recently as, as yesterday and saying, guys, we have to continue to enhance, um, our own programming. We have to continue to, um, be uh, on our players to help them to understand the importance of life away from the rink in so many critical areas that uh, society is asking us to be leaders in. Right, wrong, or indifferent, it's hard for, for young people. So that's where the leaders in an organization have to coach them, have to teach them so that they can become leaders, whether they go home to their own communities in Sarnia or they move on to their own community in the University of New Brunswick or they move on to their own community when they play for the Detroit Red Wings or the, the Toronto Maple Leafs or the LA Kings. So we wanna empower them, teach them and do our little part. And, and that's all that I can control is to try to do our little part. You started in the role that you're currently in as the chief operating officer of the Kitchener Rangers in June of 2020, as you mentioned earlier. And, and really Joe, through absolutely no fault of your own, even though I've teased you about it. <laughs> you have not had a quote-unquote normal week, probably almost, certainly not a normal season. You're, you're about to embark on that first one. But how challenging has it been to, to assume a position, the likes of which you have with the premier organization, your words, in the Canadian Hockey League, knowing what the, the team means to the community, knowing what bums in seats mean mm. to the bottom line, and like, how the heck have you managed these past 24 months? <laughs> well, um, <laughs> patience, an, an incredible team of people here. Uh, our business staff, our, our, you know, Craig Campbell, our Rangers Reach, uh, Mike McKenzie from our hockey staff, uh, Steve, Steve Steo, Steve Steo, Steve Biankowski is still, you know, part of our financial team, like an incredible group of people that have really worked collaboratively together to try to get through things. But it, but it has been, I, I, I have been in meetings with our team. We were in meetings uh, on a regular basis. I say team and, you know, our business owner, our hockey staff people and saying, we're not looking beyond four weeks. And that's crazy to think like an organization, you know, what do you mean we're not looking beyond four weeks? Well, we can't, we, we couldn't look beyond four weeks and so many things that we were trying to do over the last 18 months, because, you know, at one point we, we were, you know, clipping along with attendance growing through November and growing through early December. And then all of a sudden on a Friday afternoon, carpets pulled out and this is your last game of, you know, whatever, uh, 100% fans. And next, next time you play, you're going to have a thousand. Like it was, it was, 
it was really, really difficult. You know, the one thing I felt, I felt, I felt really bad um, in many ways for our players. Um, number one, they're, they're always number one in our hearts. And, you know, those who are graduating or maybe had just come to our organization for the first time weren't getting the true Ranger experience. And I felt for our fans. Um, I couldn't speak to all of our fans. I spoke to a lot of our fans and a lot of our season ticket numbers. I can speak directly to you, to our business staff, and try to calm people down through discussion, but I couldn't do that with our fans, and our fans became really quite frustrated, and that's because of their great passion. So that became a hard one to, at times, manage and to help them understand that we're just trying to do the right things for everyone to, one, keep the lights on, which is really sounds like a silly statement, but that became reality at times with, with what we were handling, and two, to try to get back to normal. And um, I think we're there, you know, and I, I believe we're there, Mike. And um, and it, it'll just be an amazing, amazing year with, with, I believe, the players that we have coming in, the players we have returning, the amazing response we've had from our season ticket numbers. I think there's lots to be excited about. And, and we've got lots that we want to deliver on back into the community and, and help everybody feel normal again. What's your number one priority or commitment? to those fans that support the Kitchener Rangers? It's to, to allow them to have the experience of pre-pandemic levels. And, and I, I had, a, I had a, a, some, I've had some conversations with many season ticket members that say, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? We did that before. We did that, you know, now the players are getting short-ended on this. And it's been quite simply, hey, we're not there yet. We, we, we you know, we, we took some courses of action last year to, to say we aren't going to go to a school and read in March, even though we were allowed to do that, because if our players get sick, we don't have a hockey team. Now we can't recover in time for playoffs. So we had to make some really hard decisions that, um, you know, from from the outside looking in may have seemed or looked silly. But ultimately, my view was to get us back to pre-pandemic levels and how to get us there as quickly as possible. And uh, I felt that that was going to be done with the health and the welfare of my tremendous staff, the health and the welfare of our players, and then we'll just push that out in the community. And that's what we're trying to do now. And we'll bring it back to those levels and, and give that back to our fans. They deserve it. Our players deserve it. Speaking of that staff, it makes me think of uh, Mike's old assistant GM, also a Western grad. Yeah. Should should any Rangers fans be concerned about some <laughs> London creep into this organization, Joe? <laughs> no, there's a clear line there between a knight and a Mustang. So, uh, no, Mike Zoltz, amazing uh, Western grad here too. So he's a talented, talented young guy. I I'm almost afraid to ask for fear of jinxing it and we think of these stupid soup i anyways these stupid superstitions in sports all the time so i'll knock some wood too okay. but coming into what appears to be by all indications a normal season we've got a schedule that features interconference play again we got fan fest happening training camps opening on time all of these good things do you have a have you been forced to have a plan b or c just in case i'm sorry for uh, asking okay. You know, so back to the four-week planning. Can I use the four-week planning to sure? Okay. So, uh, no, we haven't. And and but but that's that's only simply because, excuse me, all of the information that we are receiving from the league and the league's working directly still with the province, uh, and 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 uh, provincial health has pointed and indicated to be to be green light go. 
Um, now, uh, you know, that can certainly change on a dime. And, and if it does, we have a talented enough group of, of staff and people here that will adjust on the fly. We, we, we did it. You know, we had to do it last year. So we pull out the playbook that we had to handle last year and, and work through things. But but all indications that that we're receiving um, from the league office are are everything's going the right way, and um, and we'll we'll just continue to proceed cautiously. But but we we really just want to get back to a normal normal working and operating level. I talked earlier about sort of your career arc, and it almost seems inevitable that you'd end up in a position the likes of which you're currently in. But I also suspect that the position of chief operating officer contains some elements within the big job description that perhaps you hadn't been involved in at prior stops in your career. What's the number one thing you had to learn when you became the CEO? I, I didn't sell one ticket <laughs> in 14 years of working in hockey. So, and, uh, and, and, and I still, I mean, I've helped to sell tickets with, with Zach Foss, our director of ticketing here. But, but why I say that, as you know, butts in the seats and it's just critical for survival of junior hockey. So I had to learn very quickly, uh, one, the importance of, of, you know, just financial responsibility as it related to ticket sales to the incredible value of our season ticket number. I, I mean, I knew it once again, I saw it from the outside. I saw it as a player, the passion, but also how to, how to manage them properly and fairly. I, I mean, um, season ticket members have never been faced with considering to defer tickets for one or two hockey seasons in 40 years of some people being season ticket members. So there were all things that we were going through together. We, as in the fans and, and us as the, as the club office and going through things, but I had never sold a ticket, Mike. And so I had to, I had to learn very quickly and work, work with Zach on ticket strategies and how it all fits within the within the overall organization. I had done some sponsorship things in my previous league roles. I had done lots of hockey ops as it related to my Flint experience. I'd done lots of recruiting. So there were kind of some other community. I'd always been really big in league community initiatives and, and, uh, and giving partnerships. So, so there was all sorts of those core elements that exist on a day-to-day -day operation, but I had never sold one ticket. So I had to learn that pretty quickly and and, uh, and 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 try to be able to help as as best as I could. I'm not sure there is a better promotional opportunity to sell those tickets than the replay of a game seven overtime winning goal in the playoffs versus the London Knights. Does Mike Patizian get a commission on any future ticket sales? <laughs> <laughs> he should. Uh, <laughs> what a what a. Holy smokes. I mean, what a what a series and uh, what a great way for someone like Mike, who gave so much, lost a year of hockey, who gave so much to this organization um, and to have, you know, a goal three nights earlier called back that shouldn't have been called back and then to be able to get that one to seal uh, the win for us in that series. So um an amazing, I mean, he's, he's going to live in Rangers history for so many great reasons other than that, but that one, you know, solidifies him as one of our, you know, really special, special young people who played here. It would be hard to talk about the caliber of this organization, Joe, the Kitchener Rangers, uh, without talking about the, the length of time since that last elusive championship. It's 20 mm. years this year. Yeah. Does, do you, do you feel pressure because of that? Do you, do you, 
look at rising to a challenge. How much is that even in your mind as you embark on a normal season here? It, it is. So, I mean, uh, I, I think a pressure is a privilege. So that means people care about us and they've got eyes on us. So that's fine. I don't, I, I don't mind the pressure. I do believe in, in sort of process over outcome. And I think a lot of people talk that way. Mike and I really talk that way that if we have a good process, we recruit well, we draft well, we put on a good show in the building, you know, Zach, to, we have a great process. It, uh, in the words, enough to use too many cliches of Bill Walsh, the score will take care of itself. And, and as we continue to do things the right way, there, there's gonna, there are so many things to win at this level that become out of our control. So we can only do so much. We, you know, you get into a playoff series and you can run into health, you can run into a hot goalie, like, you know, that you experience. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that we can't control, but if along the way we're doing all the right things for all the right reasons and have the right people in place, we will catch that thing. And I know it's been a long time. I want to win. I, I, I want to hoist a Memorial Cup. I want to win a league championship. So does Mike, so does Chris Dennis, and so do our players. We believe that we've set ourselves up here from the business side. Mike's done, I, I believe, a tremendous job from the hockey side, given the age of our team, some really smart choices on, on import drafts. Um, I, I think, you know, he's built a really nice thing. It, it's it's too bad that the pandemic year shortened the season because I, I believe that team, you know, I was part of Flint. So uh, <laughs> I believe Flint and the, and the Kitchen Rangers were destined to collide in, in the Western Conference Championship that year. And, uh, and that sets you up for future years, but we had to take steps back. So, but I believe we've got a great process. We've got uh, great people. And we're, we're doing our best to do things the right way all the time. And um, hey, we'll see how chips fall here a year from now, but I want to win. Quickly on that Flint point, I'll tell you what, I, I, I agree. It may well have been. And that that lost yeah. season, we'll, we'll never remember or we'll never know, of course. But you were there every day in Flint. I wanted to see, I wanted to be a part of a playoff series at the Dort because I yeah. think that building full would be wow. amazing. What what was it like for the like with the buzz in the community? What were the fans like with that run? They they loved they they loved the Firebirds. Not unlike here. I mean, just a bigger. We have a bigger pocket here of fans and demographic of of you know people to draw from and, and so on and so forth. Flint's a smaller community, but they love their Firebirds, and um, it's the only thing there. I remember walking in to Flint in uh, February of. 2016, I think it was the year that we took over, the league took over and, and fans were saying to the commissioner and I as we're walking around the building trying to reorganize the organization, they're saying, don't take the hockey club from us. Please don't take the hockey club from us. Please keep the community here. It's the only thing we got. And uh, they really love their Firebirds there and um, they've worked hard to, to, to do what they've done, but it is loud. They, they make a party. We stole one of their staff members here to, to bring some of his great ideas um, to this organization to help us with some of the with some of the hype that he helped to create there and uh, uh, so it's a neat it's a neat spot it's a it's a really good junior hockey market I think you got a very good one in Dom that guy you stole yes, from Flint. I, I would have stolen him too <laughs> um, <laughs> who there's probably not just one but when you look back over your career Joe be it a teammate a coach a manager, a commissioner at the office, whatever, who has helped you along the way? Who has mentored you consciously or subconsciously? 
Yeah, boy. Uh, it, it's, it, it is hard and it would be almost unfair. I've been really lucky. Uh, it, clearly the commissioner has been, it been incredible uh, for my growth. I mean, my, my parents and my wife are probably right there afterwards and my wife doesn't get enough credit for keeping me balanced and, and everything else. But, um, you know, I've had the chance to guys like Rick Gates and Craig Goslin have always been tremendous to me in my career. Uh, Pat Morris and, and Don Meehan over at Newport were were amazing with me prior to going there and even even and even afterwards when I left and went back to the league office so I don't know you know like those are some that just come to the top of my head and there's probably likely many others Ted Baker was great to work alongside with and I, I, you know it, it's uh we have the greatest game in the world with with the greatest people in the world and um, you can you can uh, learn a lot from everybody that you come across. And I think I've been fortunate to do that. And I've tried to do the same and help and give back to people and share with them any of my experiences, because someday there's going to be a young Mike Farwell. There's going to be a young Joe Birch. And uh, it's, it's likely our jobs to turn the game over to them at some point. So I've learned some great lessons and I try to pass those along to some some young people as well. I've reached such an age, Joe, I can't remember the young Mike Farwell, honestly. <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm not surprised that there are so many people at various stops along the way, because you talked about when you're in St. Thomas, it was all about those connections, right? Yes. The people you'd call to lean on that, that still yeah. now are part of the game today or whatever. And I think that's a lesson for young people coming into the game, maybe a life and a hockey skill they get for their development. Yeah, you, you just don't know. I, I, again, you you know, you treat others. I, 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 I try to be, you know, not cliche too much, but you treat others the way you want to be treated. Well, I, you know, I didn't know that. Uh, I didn't know where DJ Smith, I know he's my cousin and he's a really good hockey coach. But I didn't know one day he'd end up in the NHL. I probably believed it. So maintaining strong relationships and healthy relationships with people even as your players, you know, and you eventually reconnect with them 20 or 15 years later, you may end up doing business with them. And so you just don't know, I think the world is too small, too, the hockey world is way too interconnected and, and too small, that you just have to carry yourself a real, uh, a really good way. Uh, be, you know, be kind. It's, it's, you know, it's, it sounds like a simple thing, but in the world we're in being kind to people and helpful to people, I think goes a long way and people remember that. Um, it's not often, I think, in my career where I've called somebody and said, hey, I need a hand with something. Does somebody ever say, no, I'm not going to help you? You know, like like most people want to help and uh, really appreciate that opportunity. And I, I think, you know, young people um, just got to kind of sometimes take a step back and build their networks and be authentic and but be kind. That ties in very well to what I want to ask just as a last question. No and problem. I was saving it for last, but okay. it's, so this just goes to show that you are a man of great honesty, Joe, because before I have these conversations on the podcast, I like to ask around. I like to check in with a person here, a person there to get a little bit of something. Uh -huh. I, why doesn't anybody have a bad word to say about you, Joe Birch? <laughs> why are you so squeaky clean? <laughs> I don't know, Mike. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, you know what? Again, I, I, great parents. Uh, that gave me great values, and um, I don't have a I don't have too many bad days, and um, you know, and again, I'll throw that. My wife's a neonatal intensive care nurse; she has really bad days. My bad day is maybe somebody doesn't want to buy a, a ticket, right? 
So how'd your day go, Katie? Oh, uh, baby died. Joe, how'd your day go? Oh, my day is fine. And, and I say that because I come to work, I laugh, I smile, uh, I problem solve, I, I coach, I lead, I teach, but uh, I really enjoy being around people. And I don't know, I just, I like to be kind and, and, and work hard. I, I've tried to just do those simple things for a long time in my career. I think it's helped me. Well, it's about damn time you worked hard and we got a normal season under your belt. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's going to be great to be able to be here with, for uh, 34 nights plus with hopefully uh, our screaming uh, 7,000 fans. It's, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. I can't wait to see that building full again myself. Birchie, it's been great of you to spend uh, part of this good day with us and uh, I look forward to the next conversation. Anytime, Farzi. I really appreciate uh, you having me and thanks for all the great work you do. Not just telling our stories, but you tell a lot of great stories, but a lot of really awesome people in the OHL. So fans, you should uh, uh, be really appreciative. All right. See, I'm going to use that as an endorsement. That'll be the next commercial for the uh, the OHL podcast, okay? <laughs> <laughs> he is the Chief Operating Officer of the Kitchener Rangers, Joe Birch, having joined the team just before the pandemic took hold and then had to miss a season, then had to go through a season where he's trying to figure out how to put bums in seats. And now it looks, quote-unquote, normal again. And Joe Birch is looking to be a part of this franchise that – has its sights set on, I think, something pretty special this year. As I mentioned at the beginning, there was a story about Joe's time with the league. It's also connected to putting out that fire in Flint. And of course, perhaps everybody's favorite subject in the Ontario Hockey League, <laughs> the commissioner, Dave Branch. I don't think I can do the story the same justice that Joe did when he told it, but we had quite the laugh about it. So for the purposes of this story, and I'll get as many details into it as I can, uh, picture Dave Branch in a pair of sunglasses, okay? Now that you've got that mental image, whether you wanted it or not, here's how things went down. This was when the first fire had to be put out in Flint, when Rolf Nilsson, the owner, was essentially banned from the arena and being hands-on with the franchise for five years, and the league stepped in to take over. So as this fire was beginning to erupt and gain some more life, Dave Branch and one of his executives from the league office, Joe Birch, were on their way to Flint when all of a sudden a phone call comes in from a member of the media, just so happened to be Bob McKenzie. Dave Branch takes the call. Bob McKenzie's asking questions about what's going on in Flint. And Dave's, Dave says along the lines of, listen, I can't give you all the details right now, but as soon as I have things sorted out, I'll let you know. Bob was cool with that. Phone call ends. The trip with Joe Birch and Dave Branch from the offices in Toronto down to Flint, Michigan continues. Sometime later, more news began to come out and Bob McKenzie calls Dave Branch back again. He's like, listen, Dave, somebody is reporting. I think it was out of Michigan. But anyway, that, you know, uh, Rolf Nilsson was going to be sanctioned and that the entire staff was, you know, the league was going to basically be taking over the Flint Firebirds franchise. So Dave, wanting to make sure he was being fair to Bob McKenzie, let him know that, yep, this is what's happening. He was on his way to Flint at this moment to basically have the league take over the franchise. And, oh, yeah, by the way, now remember, Dave Branch's sunglasses here. Joe Birch is going to be the new general manager of the Flint Firebirds. And this was the first Joe Birch was hearing of this as he sat in the passenger seat of that vehicle 
with Dave Branch on the speakerphone with Bob McKenzie. And then he kind of pulls down the sunglasses and looks over at Joe Birch in the passenger seat as he's telling the media that Joe Birch is about to become that new general manager in Flint. So that phone call ends. Bob McKenzie, of course, shares the story. He's got a little bit of a reach, does Bob McKenzie. And all of a sudden, the story is out there that Joe Birch has been named the general manager of the Flint Firebirds. Well, now poor Joe, as he's sitting there in the passenger seat of the commissioner's car, has to deal with his wife back home wondering, are we moving to Flint? What just happened? And Joe had just found out the story on his own in that same moment. So he reassured the family, this is everything's going to be fine and whatnot. And they got to Flint. And as, the, as they say, the rest is history. But that's how Joe Birch found out that he was going to be the new general manager of the Flint Firebirds. He, he was kind of voluntold that would be the situation. And he took over. And that was then. And now, of course, as you just heard in this conversation, he's looking to do great things and continue a tradition of excellence in the 60th season of Kitchener Rangers hockey as the chief operating officer of the Kitchener Rangers. There's a little bit of a story that didn't get into the interview, and that's probably my fault. Thanks for listening to another episode of the OHL podcast. Remember, subscribe, like, give us some feedback, give us a rating on the podcast, whatever it is you want to tell us, uh, and reach out to via email, ohlpodcast at rogers.com. If you want to recommend a guest, somebody you'd like to hear from, or just tell us what you think. We are all ears. Again, the email address is ohlpodcast at rogers.com. My name is Mike Farwell. Your next episode of the OHL podcast comes out next Tuesday. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks undercurrent podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holawati from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.